Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. If you're interested in getting some merch, visit my YouTube channel, or you can donate directly via Venmo or PayPal following the links in the description. You can submit case suggestions to southerngirlcrimestories at gmail.com or DM me on social media. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. Alicia Kristen Navarro was born in 2004 and is a native of Glendale, Arizona. At the age of 14, Alicia was a student at Borgade Catholic High School and was diagnosed with autism at the age of 12. She also had a sensory challenge, especially with scents, related to her autism. Her mother, Jessica Nunez, states that her daughter liked a strict routine with no deviations from her schedule and didn't like to go out in public much. She suffered from severe anxiety, which she was in therapy for and didn't even like to leave her room. She was also prone to emotional meltdowns and needed help with socializing and daily medications. For a school project she had worked on, she described herself as a nerdy, quiet, nervous, and introverted person, and her mother would describe her as a loving and caring smart child. She enjoyed gaming in her room for hours a day and often socialized online with other gamers, which was more comfortable than socializing face-to-face. She loves to read and is tech-savvy and even learned to code. However, she was once caught giving personal information to someone online, prompting her mother to talk to her about internet safety and the potential dangers of what she was doing. On Friday, September 13, 2019, Alicia claimed her anxiety was in an uproar and had asked to stay home from school, which she did. The next day, Saturday, September 14, she spent the day with her mother because her mother wanted to make her feel better. She took her to the local chocolate factory and also got her eyebrows done. They also went out to eat and everything seemed as usual to her mother and she appeared happy. At 1 a.m. the next morning, she came downstairs for a glass of water and noticed her mother still awake watching TV. She asked her mother why she was still awake and told her mother she needed to get some rest. Her mother didn't think much of this and soon went to bed and yelled upstairs to Alicia, telling her good night. Alicia was on the phone with someone and her mother assumed it was just a friend. Jessica went to sleep not knowing it might be the last time she would see her daughter. When her mother woke up at 7 a.m., the back door was open, chairs were placed against a brick wall in the backyard, and there were shoe prints matching Alicia's sneakers. It appeared she'd used the chairs to climb over the wall instead of going through the front, avoiding the neighbor's surveillance camera. Her mother found a note that read, I ran away. I will be back, I swear. I'm sorry, Alicia. Sometime during the night, Alicia left home on foot, taking only a small backpack, her cell phone, and Apple MacBook computer, both of which police say are untraceable, but didn't take the chargers. 
She took an Iron Man comic book worth $200 titled Demon and a Bottle that she had begged her mother to buy her. Strangely, her mother didn't see Alicia pay any mind to the comic book once it was bought. She also took three sweatshirts that she loved to wear and felt comfortable in, and possibly makeup and perfume. The letters she left appeared to be written in a hurry, according to her mother. This fact, combined with the fact that she didn't take her charges for her devices, leads to speculation that she planned on returning soon or she was in a hurry because someone was waiting for her. Prior to her disappearance, she began asking her mother for different clothing, such as a backless shirt, body spray, and makeup. This was unusual because she was super sensitive to fragrances and usually only wore sweatshirts, despite how hot it is in Arizona. Her mother believes she left to meet someone that groomed her before luring her online. Jessica said her daughter has never left home like that and never gave any indications that she would ever want to. Police believe that whoever it was she was meeting had asked her to take her laptop so there would be no way for her mom or law enforcement to see who she was talking to. Alicia often used the chat program Discord, played Roblox, and often used Instagram and had two inactive Facebook profiles. Later, a friend did confide that Alicia had mentioned plans of running away to California but did not take her seriously. Her mother believes she never intended to be gone this long and is being held against her will. Alicia has a scar on her left knuckle due to biting related to her sensory behavior. Her loved ones remain devastated and as of June 2022, this case remains unsolved. Raja Adriana McQueen was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, and was the youngest of eight children. She attended John F. Kennedy High School and later attended Rosedale Bible College, where she was studying music while also working. Her cousin Alicia described her as tough and strong, but very sensitive and loved the Lord. Raja had a deep love for music and always liked to dress nice and loved fashion. She is also a mother of two children, Cameron and Caden, that she deeply loves. At the age of 27, she had recently divorced and lost her brother, which caused her to suffer emotionally. On June 25, 2021, while home from college, she told her mom she was going to visit a friend. They last spoke around midnight when Raja called her to tell her she was still with her friend. Her mother sadly didn't know this might be the last time she would ever speak to her daughter. Raja was last seen the next morning in Cleveland on a gas station video camera at East 131st and Harvard Avenue at 7.30 a.m. At that time, Raja was the passenger in her 2018 silver Nissan Sentra that was being driven by a male. A few hours later, her car was seen again driven by the same male at 11.38 at that same location, but this time, she was no longer visible in the car. The car then showed signs of having three bullet holes that were not there previously. Her phone was strangely turned off at this time and the license plates and the hubcaps were missing and were previously there as well. Strangely, a dealer tag was noted to be placed in the back window. Her loved ones attempted to report her missing the next day, but law enforcement wouldn't immediately take the report because she was an adult. It would be a couple of days later before they were allowed to make an official missing persons report, which resulted in the video footage from the gas station being discovered. 
About 15 search warrants have been issued and many people interviewed. The friend she was with when she went missing has been interviewed by detectives, but his name has not been released to the public. Neither Raja nor her vehicle has ever been seen since, and the FBI has increased the reward by $25,000 on top of the already $5,000 offered by Crime Stoppers. Her large family remains devastated, seeking answers for them and her two sweet boys, but as of today, this case remains unsolved. Sophie Elizabeth Reeder was born in 2002 to Patrick Reeder and Nicole Twist. At the age of 15, she lived in Fort Lauderdale, Florida with her father because her parents had recently divorced. She was described as having a smile that lit up her face, but her loved ones believed she was possibly suffering from anxiety and depression. She was also known to be rebellious and stubborn at times. During her parents' nasty custody war, Sophie was adamant about living with her father, Patrick. During the late night hours of May 19, 2017, her father asked her to go to sleep when he found her pacing the floor. He went to bed not knowing this might be the last time he would ever see his daughter. Unbeknownst to him, she left home soon after and began walking. The next morning, he woke up to find Sophie missing and notified police. The police checked her bedroom and found some cash in a bag near her bed, which indicated that she did not run away and also left a candle burning in her room. During the initial investigation, a surveillance video from a neighbor's home showed her walking alone wearing headphones, wearing a black mini dress, a faux fur jacket, and red Converse shoes. She was seen heading eastbound past a business between the 100 and 400 blocks of West Davy Boulevard. She appeared to be taking her time, having no purpose, although some speculate that it appeared that she was looking for a particular address. The police were able to trace her movements till her phone died or was turned off at Southwest 18th Avenue over two miles away. There was an apartment complex near where Sophie's cell phone was no longer traceable and authorities learned that she knew someone who lived there. Eventually, investigators received a search warrant for the location, but it's reported that nothing viable was found that would help in her disappearance. It was also discovered that she had been researching sugar daddy websites, which are dating sites. Her mother also alleged that her disappearance had something to do with Sophie's friend circle, social media, and her talking to the wrong people as she found stockings, garter belts, alcohol, and drugs in Sophie's bedroom. Prior to her disappearance, Sophie often hung out in the area of Stranahan High School, which she had attended for a short period. She had transferred to a virtual school and took classes online with her computer. Evidence on her computer has led authorities to believe she may have been the victim of a human trafficker or online predators. Investigators think she was in contact with two men in the vicinity of where her phone last pinged and the men were involved in drugs and trafficking. Sophie has never been found and this case remains unsolved. Rakaya Corbin Sanghat was born April 3, 1976, to parents Renelda Corbin and George Jackson. She was nicknamed Kiki and was described as a remarkable woman, the type who never forgot a birthday, and was always giving out hugs, love, and gifts with a big smile. 
Her family said that she was full of personality and never met a stranger. She was raised in River Rouge, Michigan, where she graduated with honors from River Rouge High School. After high school, she attended Mary Grove College before relocating to Ohio to attend DeVry University, where she would graduate in 2001 with a Bachelor of Science in Information Technology. She would continue her education, and in 2006, she earned a Master of Business Administration in Human Resources. In 2012, she married Amadou Sanghat, and the couple would have a son together. In January of 2021, Kiki and her 10-year-old son rented an SUV and traveled to Detroit to celebrate her Aunt Darnetta's 70th birthday, whom she was named after. On January 19, 2021, the day after the party, as they were leaving her aunt's house, Kiki was on the phone with her brother, Sean, when she and her son stopped at an intersection near Bassett Street and Downing Street in southwest Detroit. They were suddenly surrounded by four men armed with guns and shot multiple times. Miraculously, her son survived, but Kiki tragically did not. Her son had a long road to recovery, however, and one he had to sadly face without his mother. The senseless shooting involved four people in a black Chrysler 300 with tinted windows and with a partial plate of 413. The family and friends couldn't imagine anyone wanting to hurt Kiki and believe her murder was a case of mistaken identity. However, it's been well over a year and still no one has been arrested for this senseless crime. She will always be remembered for her favorite phrase, smile, Kiki loves you. Her loved ones are still awaiting justice, but as of today, this case remains unsolved. Jody Lynn Brandt was born in 1978 in Michigan. As a young teen, she moved from Michigan to a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia, where she lived with her mother, Donna, her older brother, Joe, and her stepfather, Robin. She was described as spunky and free-spirited, playful and tough. But Jody's home life was somewhat chaotic as her mother struggled with addiction issues. She eventually dropped out of high school and began working at a fast food restaurant and bought a car with the money she earned. In the evening hours on May 27, 1994, 16-year-old Jody left home to drive to Pontiac, Michigan to visit her cousin for Memorial Day weekend. She reportedly left without telling anyone. She was supposedly traveling alone, and the drive should have taken close to 12 hours. The next day, she called her mom and said she thought she was lost in Erie, Ohio. However, there isn't an Erie, Ohio, only an Erie Township. But Lake Erie is right beside Toledo, Ohio, so she could have saw a sign relating to Lake Erie or Erie Township, Michigan, and was referencing that. Police would later say that it's possible that she may have actually been calling from either the Toledo, Ohio area or from Erie, Michigan. But later that day, about 6 p.m., she called one of her friends from a payphone and left a message saying she'd arrived in Pontiac and was doing okay. The very next morning, on May 29, 1994, her 1987 Ford Escort was found abandoned and burned along a rural road near the intersection of Turk and Concier Roads, just off US-23 in Ottawa Lake, Michigan, just a few miles north of Toledo, Ohio. Authorities determined the fire had been intentionally set on the front seat of the car sometime after 10 p.m. the previous night. 
This area is only a 20-minute drive from Erie, Michigan, where Jody likely was when she placed the call saying she was lost. Her keys were in the ignition, suitcases were still in the back seat, and the driver's seat had been pushed all the way back despite Jody only standing 5'3". Her brother would notice a dent in the car's back fender that hadn't been there before, suggesting that someone may have forced her off the road. A couple days later, once the car was found, her brother and Uncle Roy quickly traveled to Michigan to search for her and put up missing persons flyers. There was a couple unconfirmed sightings of her from two different gas station employees from around the time she would have arrived to her destination. But there's no way to confirm the girl was Jody, and the employees could have gotten the timeline wrong as this was her second trip to Michigan within the past three days. Several days before her disappearance, she had driven about 10 pounds of marijuana from Georgia to Michigan with two male friends and was paid a couple hundred dollars for the trip. She drove straight to Michigan and straight back, and as soon as she got home, she began doing laundry and packing for her trip to Michigan to visit her relatives. Strangely, her stepfather was also from Michigan and had a family member by the name of Anthony Goley who was murdered in Pontiac by a man who was later killed by law enforcement. His car was also found burned but was located in Ohio along with his body. Another strange detail is that the father of the friend she had previously delivered the marijuana to named Roland was murdered a couple days before Jody. Some speculate that she could have met with foul play in Georgia after returning from the delivery in Michigan and that the car and other details were staged. They based this on how difficult it would be for someone returning from a 24-hour round trip to turn around a couple hours later and head back to where they just came from, even if she did sleep on the way back from the first trip. However, this is all speculation and it's unknown whether Jody's involvement with drugs had anything to do with her disappearance. Her mother, Donna, would sadly pass away of an apparent overdose in 1995. No one has ever been named as a suspect or a person of interest in Jody's disappearance, and as of June 2022, this case remains unsolved. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.